Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Grace City Church podcast. If you would like more info on our church, you can visit gracecityboston.com. Now let's get to the sermon. Um, we're, we're, so we just came out of Easter, and so Easter was last week, and now we're kicking into uh, a new series. And so the series that we were doing before this particular series uh, was called The Holy Week, and so we were looking at this week of Jesus' life uh, before the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, uh, and now we're looking at, uh, in, in this new series called After the Beginning. And so there's about 40 days uh, where Jesus is spending uh, with his disciples, uh, with his followers, those who've kind of been gathering around him uh, post-resurrection. There's going to be a, a couple of really significant kind of moments that are going to happen that over the next four weeks that we're going to study together. Because all of these, um, all, all of these kind of events and appearances that he's going to make, uh, they, they make a difference. Like they are saying something about Jesus, and they're also saying something to uh, Jesus' people. And so what we're going to find is that with the resurrection of Jesus, the whole, the whole ecosystem of the Jewish kind of religious system is going to be shook up. Like he's going to change everything. He's actually going to invite into a relationship with him and a relationship with the Father a group of people known as the Gentiles. These were the ones who the religious elite really disliked, right? They, they were the ones who uh, were considered unclean and filthy and not part of God's uh, favored people. And so what we're going to see because of the death, life, and resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus is now going to, or, or God's no, no longer going to be a God who has promised himself to one nation, which is Israel and the, the, the Jewish people. He's gonna be a God who promised himself to the nations, to all people. This is what the, this is what the resurrection is going to open up, um, is what it's gonna open up for us. And so we're gonna spend a good bit of time uh, walking through just some of the things that are gonna be happening. Okay, so in Luke chapter 24, um, we're gonna do 25 through 27, but let me set this up. Uh, I wanna set it up before we get into this interaction because we're gonna be kind of hopping around. So uh, th- we have two individuals before we drop into this part of the story. Uh, there's two individuals, they're on the road to Emmaus, and, and this is kind of the... In- what we're going to see in this situation. So Emmaus is about uh, seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're kind of coming out of the city. This is what the text tells us. They're coming out of the city and they're discussing everything that has uh, been going down in Jerusalem uh, over Passover. And so as you can uh, imagine, Jesus' death is, is the topic of the conversation that these guys are, or uh, a male and female are kind of batting back and, and forth. And so they're talking about this, who are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus. It's kind of uh, Hebrew rabbi, this, this teacher, this, this person who has really made himself known, kind of gathered a, a following through uh, miraculous uh, healings and through teachings and through uh, showing compassion to the marginalized. He's been doing all of these incredible things. And then what we looked at uh, over the last two weeks, what we saw is that, that Jesus is ultimately what? He's, um, he's uh, unjustly tried by the Roman government uh, at the desire of the Jewish religious leaders. He's, he's crucified on a Roman execution device. And, and, and this is where we find ourselves for these, these two individuals. They're, they're discussing kind of all these things and trying to figure out what, what the heck has gone on, what, what is going to happen. And then Luke tells us that suddenly, as they're on the road, these two individuals are now joined by another man who just kind of 
it's kind of, I don't know how you do that, right? If he came out of the woods or whatever, but he just kind of showed up, right? He just appeared, you know? Um, but it says that another man now is, is with them. And, and he asked them, hey, what are you guys talking about? What's going on? What, what's the situation? And they actually look at this individual who we find out is Jesus. And they say to him, you must be the only guy in Jerusalem who has no idea what's been going on in these days. Like, you must be clueless. And so they begin to kind of share with him uh, about what's going on, kind of the, the, just kind of the situation. And we get the impression, here's the impression that we get based on what we're about to see. We get the impression that they don't quite believe everything that they've heard, because they've heard that Jesus has now appeared to some people, to the women, shout out ladies, right? That he's appeared to the women, and now they've gone to the disciples, and they're, so they're telling this individual that's on uh, the road. Okay, verse 25, let's, let's, let's drop in and let's see the, this particular interaction. I'm actually going to pray for us, and then, we'll, and then we'll read this. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures, God, that you um, give us insight and understanding according to your word. God, so we ask, uh, we, we just invite your Holy Spirit into this space to bring clarity and discernment. God, we wanna, we wanna read this rightly. God, we wanna walk in obedience um, to your word. God, we don't just want to believe rightly, we want to live rightly, we want to feel rightly. And so help us. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, Luke 24, um, verse 25 is where we're going So he said to them, now this individual who we know is Jesus, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Okay, so he's now going to appeal to the prophets, right? But because kind of the overarching thought this morning, I'll go ahead and give it to you so that you have it. This kind of overarching thought this morning is that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of all of Scripture has been speaking towards. Jesus is going to be the perfect, this is what we're going to see. He's going to be the perfect fulfillment of everything that the Scriptures are speaking towards. In the Old Testament, perfect fulfillment. New Testament, we see what? We see him perfectly live this out. And then we see his message through uh, the, the letters to the, the churches continue to carry on this way of Jesus. So he says, um, you foolish, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so look what he does here, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, I've sat under some incredible Bible teachers, right? Maybe, maybe you have. Just incredible Bible teachers. I mean, we have access to amazing Bible teachers on, on every kind of device possible. Can you imagine the, the Son of God Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, walking you through the scriptures. This is what it's telling us this, this happening with these individuals. Walking through the scriptures. And he's saying, oh, by the way, that's about me. That's about me. That's about me. That's about me. Okay, so Jesus here has done what? Here's what we see. We see him clearly now rebuking these two. He's saying, um, right, because the question is like, what is it? What is he rebuking them about? So I'm reading this and thinking, okay, what is it? He I don't think that he's necessarily rebuking them that they're finding the resurrection difficult to believe. I don't think that's what he's kind of pressing in on against them. I think he's rebuking the fact that they missed it in Scripture. That, it, that God has, through the Old Testament, been communicating this truth that a Messiah is coming, that he's going to do something radically different, and they totally missed it. I think that's what he's kind of coming against them and saying. Hey, you've missed this. I mean, um, he, 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 kind of, uh, he kind of lays this out for them, right? 
He's saying, man, this, is, this has all been here. In Luke 24, uh, verse 21, this seems to be the line that he's responding to. Luke 24, 21, it says this. This is their response to Jesus uh, as they're explaining what's happening. It says, but we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. They're like, man, we, we thought this was the guy who's going to redeem Israel, and apparently he's not. He's not going to do it. This is an important thing. These two individuals had been misreading scriptures their entire life. They, they'd been missing it. They'd been reading in the scriptures what they wanted to read into them. I mean, they believed the scriptures, what? They believed that the scriptures taught that a Messiah was coming to save Israel. But, but what did they assume about this Messiah, right? That they assumed that this Messiah was going to provide a type of salvation that was different than what Jesus came to do. They were looking for what? An earthly Messiah. They were looking for one who would release them from Roman captivity. They were, they were looking for one who would come up against Rome, right? And, and, and be this kind of political leader that would now lead them to freedom, would push Rome out of Palestine, would give it back to Israel, would be this powerhouse, and now the Jewish people would be in leadership. This is what they were reading into the scriptures. And he's saying that's wrong. That, that's, that's, not the, uh, that's not the situation. I'm, I've not come to be an earthly uh, Messiah. This, 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 this wasn't it. Now, he's going to do this again in Luke 24. Go to verse 36. Luke 24, 36. It'll be on the screen as well so that you can see it. We'll be at 36 through 49. Now, look at this next interaction that he's going to have. Okay, so he rebukes these two on the road to Emmaus. And now we have another situation uh, kind of on our hands. And so what's happened is these two that were on the road to Emmaus with Jesus, he explains the scripture to them, and bam, he disappears. He breaks, he he goes with them into their home. Uh, In this beautiful moment that kind of kicks back to the upper room, it says that he breaks bread with them. He breaks bread, and these two individuals say, they, they recognize him in that moment as Jesus. And they said, were not our hearts burning as he explained the scriptures to us? Was not something going on and happening actually when he was talking to us? And the moment that he broke the bread, it was like, that's Jesus, and then he's gone. Okay, so they go to the disciples, they, they go to the leadership of the church, the other people, and um, John actually tells us they're locked in this room because they're, so, they're so afraid. They're so fearful of the Roman government. Their, their leader, their Messiah, their, 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 their dude is done. Like He just died, and they're like, oh, our movement's sunk. It's over with. Verse 36, Luke 24, 36. It says, as they were saying these things, as they're explaining to him, he himself stood in their midst and he said to them, peace to you, verse 37. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, right? That, I could answer that question for them, you know? Well, you just appeared, you know? You just kind of, you just, right? He says, why are you troubled, he asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet that is, that, uh, that, it is, that it is I myself touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have, verse 40. Uh, having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, verse 41. But while they were still amazed in disbelief because of their joy, I love that line, because of their joy, he asked them, 
Do you have anything here to eat? Verse 42, so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna look at that particular kind of interaction from a different perspective next week. So I don't wanna get into that particular part um, of the narrative. We'll look at it next week, but at least wanna kind of read through it. Now look what he does here in the second part in verse 42. It says, he told them, he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Here it is again. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. He's talking about the Holy Spirit there. He says, as for you, stay in the city until you are empowered on high. Okay, so the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms represented the whole of the Old Testament to the Jewish people. This was everything, this was everything that had, this was in essence their Bible. This was the teaching that they followed. This is what they read, studied, and memorized to know God and to know themselves was uh, the, the law of Moses, the prophets, and, and the Psalms. And so see what Jesus is doing here. He's explicitly laying claim to the Old Testament. And he's saying, your Hebrew scriptures, my Hebrew scriptures, I'm a fulfillment of all these things. This is, this is, this is kind of who I am. Everything is about me. Uh, in verse, four, verse 44 or verse 45, he says, uh, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, just as a side note here, because this isn't the, the kind of the, the, the full weight of what we're going for here, but, but I do just want to note the fact that Jesus is elevating what the role of Scripture in this moment. I mean, he, he's providing them insight based on what? Based on the Scriptures that they already have. When he says Moses there, the, the law of Moses, he, he's talking about Genesis. He's going back to the very beginning, and he begins to, he's going to begin to tick all these things off. And so it's fascinating to me, right? Because we, we as a church, we as a people want to do what? We want to take our cues from Jesus. We want to use the scriptures to study, right? We went on a Sunday morning, like I, I could, you know, stand up here and, and do a sort of a, a, a TED talk, right? And, and have this kind of, you know, personal kind of principles that you should live by that I think will kind of help you, you know, have less relational conflict or whatever, right? We could kind of go through that, but that's not ultimately what's going to help you. What's going to help you is the word of God. This is why we do it in this setting. It's why in our house church, in our small groups, we, we kind of gather around uh, the Bible. We study the Bible together. We talk about, man, how is this shaping us? How is this creating us into a new people? How is this breaking down uh, kind of sit, relational situations that make it difficult? This is what we're doing is we're, we're using the, the scriptures. You want to recognize kind of spiritual barriers uh, in your life and how to get past those. That happens through the scriptures, right? You, you want to uh, know how to overcome anxiety. That, that comes through the scriptures. You want to find contentment that comes through the scriptures. I mean, this is what Jesus is doing, right? If the risen Messiah with holes in his hands and holes in his feet finds it necessary to use the scriptures to explain the way of God in the way of Jesus, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? All right. 
That was just a little side thing. All right, so here we go. Let's get back into the text. Okay, so he's taking these Hebrew, uh, he's ha- taking all these Hebrew scriptures, and it's saying they're attesting uh, to uh, to me. Look at verse forty-five again. We'll read forty-five through uh, forty-nine. It says, and he opened his mind to understand the scripture. We've seen that. He also said to them, "This is what is written: the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things." And he's saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's hard for us reading this particular text, right? Um, or, or really the whole Bible, for that matter. Is that there's a whole lot of things underneath all of this. And the Jewish people kind of get it. I mean, they, they've been raised to understand the Hebrew Bible. I mean, they actually m- were memorizing large portions of the Hebrew Scriptures. I mean, this is what they were doing. It was ingrained in them. So when he's studying the scriptures, there's no, um, you know, there's no like things to have to jump over. They just get it. They're like, oh, yes, I know what you're talking about there. Yep, I know what you're talking about there. I, I got that. I got that. I got that. And so he's pointing out these things. Now, it can be difficult for us reading it now in 2021. It can be a little bit harder. And so here's what, here's kind of what, what I want to do, because they, the Jewish people obviously had established, they had kind of established a way in which they knew to interact with God that makes Jesus a fulfillment of that interaction all the more important. And so I think, um, I think the best way to see how Jesus is a fulfillment of the Old Testament is, is to kind of look at what we would call the threefold office uh, of the Old Testament scriptures, the, the threefold office of um, leadership, and look at how Jesus is a fulfillment of this threefold office. And so we're going to go ahead and throw a, a graph up that you can just kind of see. If you're taking notes, you can kind of write this down. It will um, it'll kind of serve as, as kind of where we're going for the morning so that you'll have it. You can kind of, uh, you can draw that out or do whatever. But, but these are the three whole offices that we're going to look at, priest, prophet, and king. So if, if you were uh, an Israelite, if you were a Jewish people, you would recognize these three offices as the office of leadership in the Old Testament. So if you go back and look at the scriptures, these are the, these are the individuals and the roles and the offices that we're going to be leading God's people. This is what we're going to look at. And this is what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to say, I'm a fulfillment of all three of these. So it's not that Jesus is just going to go through and and say, hey, you see there where um, Isaiah said, you know, that that I would be slain, that that I would have to die, that I would be like a a sheep that goes silent to the slaughter. He's actually going to explain all of the Hebrew scriptures and identify all of these particular roles that, that are going to be there. Well, I'll kind of explain all of this. Um, I'll explain all this as we go. Okay, so let's look at the, the first office as priest. The, the first office as priest. Now, the priestly role was, was primarily associated with the tabernacle and the temple. So when an Israelite heard priest, um, they, they heard the word, that, or they were thinking, right, sacrifice, set apart, uh, forgiveness. I mean, priests were the kind of religious leadership in the ancient Near East. And, and essentially, the, the priest... Um, role could be summarized as one who, who intercedes. He was interceding for them. Uh, the priest was the one who was representing the people to God. He was kind of the go-between. Th- this is the, the role that the priest was, right? This is your buddy in eighth grade, fellas, who takes a note to the girl. You know, he's your go-between. It's your representative. This is, this is what the priest did. He, he would represent the people to God. And so once a year, the, the scriptures tell us that once a year, uh, the priest would enter the holy place and would offer a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people on, on something called the Day of the Atonement. 
And so he would do this work. The scriptures go on to tell us that he would sprinkle blood on the he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat that would then atone for the people. So then they would be in in now in right standing with God. This happened year after year after year after year after year. They have atonement. They have atonement. They have atonement. Priest takes the blood of the sacrifice and spreads on the mercy seat year after year after year after year without fail. Without fail. He's providing this sacrifice for the people. So this leadership, this office of the priest, was a big deal for the Hebrew people, for the, for the Israelites. This is why when they had a great priest, things were going great. And when they had a bad priest, we actually see in Scripture, when they had a bad priest, or when the sons of the priests were going to be bad, who was taking the position, God replaced them and removed them and said, no, no, this isn't going to work. We need a priest who is his holy, is purposeful, is consistent. This is, this is what we need. So what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, in Hebrews chapter 9, 11 through 14, this will be on the screen. The author of Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 says this. It says, but Christ has appeared. Listen to what it says about Jesus. But Christ has appeared as the high priest of good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Verse 12, it says, he entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and the calves, but by what? By his own blood and having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 13, four, if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, here it is, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works so that now we can serve the living God? And so what the text tells us is that Jesus not only entered the holy place to offer a sacrifice, but he was what? He was the sacrifice himself. He not only went in as the priest to do the offering, but on the cross, he literally became the offering. And now the writer of Hebrews says what? Everything has changed. Everything has changed. He says, listen, if a yearly offering provides purification of sins for God's people, how much more will the perfect son of God provide a type of redemption that's everlasting and forever? See how Jesus is a fulfillment of this role? That, that he now, if you, if you just read all throughout the, um, the Hebrew text, that he now is the, the high priest who can sympathize with us, who understands our troubles and temptations. This is ultimately why if you're reading um, the, the gospel narratives of the resurrection, it says that the sun, the sun fell, the light fell, and the, temple of the, uh, the curtain of the temple tore in two. What did that mean? Well, the temple, this is talking about this kind of holiest of holies where people entered in to, to sacrifice to God. It said what? At the death of Jesus, it tore in two. It was no more, no longer needed. It was a final sacrifice, a final payment. Jesus as priest, we saw this on, that look, on the, the graphic, Jesus as priest did what? He ultimately secured our redemption. This is what Jesus as priest did. He secured our redemption 
as a people. Okay, let's examine the second office that appears throughout the Old Testament. Uh, the role of the prophet was one who spoke to the people on behalf of God. So this is, this is what we see. Usually this included rebuking the people or predicting events that would come, right? Uh, essentially, a prophet was the mouthpiece of God. I mean, how would the people know if God was pleased with them if there wasn't a prophet? And so the prophet, uh, there's a lot of books of prophecy in the Old Testament, right? They're super confusing if you're trying to read them. You're like, I have no idea what that means. That sounds poetic. I have no idea what that means, right? That's the, that's the book of prophecy. Why is that? Well, because the, the prophets were speaking directly to people in a direct situation. He's saying something to them and speaking directly to them. This is what the, the prophet did. Now, as you can imagine, being the mouthpiece of God did what? Create some problems for you. Don't you think? Like, if you're, if you're coming, do you always love the things that you feel God calling you to? If you say yes, we should talk, and I, I would love to talk with you because you are a remarkable person, you know? No, God calls us into hard things. So, so the prophet would come in and say, man, you're... you're you're a people walking in sin, and God's rebuking you. God is, God is going to remove you, king, from your role. You're going to be enslaved as a people. Because of your rebellion, Babylon's coming, and they're going to take you. This is the role of the prophets. This is why you read the prophets, and, and they're like, uh, you, know, couple, you know, they're like, God, just kill me. You know, they're like, I just do not want to do this any longer. I don't want to do it. It's not fun. Now, some prophets brought the good news, you know? Sometimes the prophet was like, hey, God's pleased with you. He loves you. He's for you. He hears your cries of mercy. He's going he's gonna to answer you. That's the prophet I want to be. You know what I mean? Give me the accolades. And so Jesus, so so. So what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, look in Deuteronomy, uh, this is Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, or verse 15 and verse 18. You can write this down. It'll be on the screen as well. This is how it connects with Jesus. So Moses says this, uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. He's going to raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. You must listen to him. Kick down to verse 18. It says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brothers. And then listen what it says here. This is what God uh, is communicating. He says, I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I have commanded him. Now, Peter, who's an early church leader in, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter three, actually points to this particular verse as a prophecy pointing to Jesus as the prophet as the, the ultimate one. So what did, Jesus pro, what did Jesus ultimately proclaim? What was his message? Jesus' ultimate message was what? That sin and death no longer can have a hold on a people. This is what he was communicating. That death is done. That you no longer have to walk in your sinful strongholds. Those things that you, that, those things that, um, that you struggle with that you can't seem to break free from, those things that are speaking uh, thoughts of condemnation over you, those things that separate you from a holy God that the scriptures tell us, that he's holy and, and just so he can't be in relationship with the rebellion people. What did Jesus, as the prophet, communicate? He says, hey, those things don't have to have a hold on you anymore. I'm, 
I'm not only bringing a message, I'm doing a work. This is what he's communicating. This is what Jesus was bringing. Right? I mean, he gave insight. Think about this. He gave insight into how to love God and how to love neighbor. He taught us how we should treat our neighbor, how we should relate to the government, how we should use our money, how we should view sex, the power of our words. He rebuked cultural norms. He taught us how to pray, how to fast, what to do with our possessions, uh, how to deal with anxiety, what is good fear and what is bad fear. I mean, just the majority of that was, was something, uh, was in the Sermon on the Mount, something in Matthew 5, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 5 through 7, that I think is, is probably the greatest section of teachings that have ever existed. In that Matthew 5 through 7, those chapters, teaches us all of those things. This is what he is proclaiming. There's something, there's a new kingdom coming. There's a, a, a new thing. His teaching was transformative. It was convicting. It was tender. It was revolutionary. It was insightful. It was culturally relevant. And most importantly, most importantly, it was directly from the Father directly from the Father. He was a teacher who was hearing from the Father and as he was hearing from the Father was then communicating to his people. Communicating to his people. And now we have it in, in front of us. Can you think about that for a second? You can access anywhere at any time on your phone the words of Jesus who's hearing from the Father. 24-7, all the time. Ultimately, Jesus' as prophet did what? He brought kingdom clarity. He brought clarity. Jesus' as priest brought our redemption. Jesus' as prophet brought clarity. He said, this is how you live the way of Jesus. This is how you're no longer enslaved by your sin. All right. Third, row, third kind of thought here, third office here that he fulfilled. Uh, the role of king uh, was one that had authority over the people in his care. So in the Old Testament, the, the monarch was established for what? It was established for peace, prosperity, and the welfare of the people of God. Uh, this is when, the, when anytime the Israelites or any nation had a benevolent and strong king uh, on the throne, there was a collective what? Peace in the kingdom. If the king was good, benevolent, strong, there was peace in the kingdom, was there not? This is, this is what they were, were going for. The, the prototype for Israel was a guy named King David. Now, King David had some massive, massive failures, if you read his story. King David's story is actually uh, comforting to me, because I read it, and I'm like, bro, you were jacked up, you know? And I respect that. I respect that. And God still used you. God still used you, even though you were massively messed up. That's what we know about King David, but he was an incredible king. He was the one that they were always trying to get back to, the one that they were kind of always uh, uh, looking at. He provided uh, uh, stability and prosperity in the kingdom. He, he accomplished a type of peace for the Israelites that had never been accomplished before and hadn't been accomplished since. Now, the, the scriptures actually had told them, had told the Israelites that another one was coming in the line of David. It was going to take the throne of David, Isaiah 9, uh, verse 6. Listen when Isaiah 9, this is one of those prophets in verse 6. It says this. Maybe you're familiar with this verse. Um, it says this, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, 
and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, verse 7. The dominion will be vast. That's an understatement. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity, here it is, and its prosperity will never end, will never end, will end. This kingdom, this monarch will not end. The one who is coming, his kingdom will end. And his riches are vast. And you can't exhaust them. This is this king. He continues on. It says, the dominion will be vast. The prosperity will never end. Here it is. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. You see, Jesus uh, Jesus as the king, right, says what? That his dominion will be vast, that his prosperity for all people. That, that ultimately, right, ultimately all of us, ultimately all of us want leadership that, that's going to provide for our care. Right? I mean, th- this is what all of us want. We want things to go for our good. We want a benevolent and good king. Well, here's the good, here's the good news, right? That's who Jesus was. Jesus as king did what? Just kind of summary. Jesus as king brought us leadership to follow. He brought us a leadership, a type of leadership to follow. This is why we say we're a people following the way of Jesus. Right? We don't say we're a people following the ways of the Bible. Even though that wouldn't be a wrong thing to say. But we say, no, no, we just want to be, when I'm talking to people, um, when I'm talking to, I was going to say people on the street. Um, that sounds weird. When, when, I'm, when I'm chatting with people, my neighbors or, or wherever, you know, I'm like, yeah, man, uh, I just, we just want to be a people who follow the way of Jesus. That's what Grace City is. We, we believe he's the um, most revolutionary individual to ever walk the face of the earth. And we want to live his way, you know. If I say we're a Christian church, they're like, oh, I got some thoughts about Christians. I know you do. I do too. You know? But if it's like, no, no, we're just a church following the way of Jesus. They're like, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm cool with him. Not bad. He, he provided a type of leadership for us to follow as king. This is how he fulfilled that role. Okay, so as priest, he provides for our redemption. As prophet, he brought kingdom clarity. And as king, he brought a leadership to follow. See how he's the fulfillment of all three of these things? All three of these, um, all three of these offices. This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew five verse seventeen. This is what he said. He says, "Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill." Jesus himself is saying, "I came to fulfill all of these things." Well, why is it good news? Okay, so why should we care? Why is it good news for a group of people, Grace City Church, in twenty twenty one? I just forget that 2020 happened. You know what I'm saying? I just totally blocked it out. Why should should we care? Why should we care? There was a professor named Virginia Owens, not related. Uh, She was at Texas A&M, and she assigned her freshman English class an assignment. She assigned them the Sermon on the Mount to read. So she thought, I'm going to give my freshman class this Sermon on the Mount, right? So she she has some thoughts about Sermon on the Mount. She's like, hey, this was introduced to me as a kid. Like I thought, you know, she's like, I'd be interested to hear what she, um, 
what, what her kids think, right? So her expectation, right, is that they would be familiar with the teachings, right? They, the response would be relatively positive. This is what her thought. Um, but she was pretty surprised with actually the response of the people. Uh, many of the responses of her students actually expressed the impossibility of keeping the teachings. They, they said that Christianity sounds like a buzzkill, uh, an absurd religious system, that Christianity sounds like a scam to follow, uh, an impossible set of rules, right? I mean, think, think about the Sermon on the Mount, that group of teachings I talked about. He, he says that you're not just to give your money away, but you're to do it joyfully. You're not supposed to just be generous as a people with your finances, but you're supposed to do it joyfully. He, he said um, that he, he didn't just for, forbid us killing people, but he forbids disdain for people. He disdains superiority, indifference. Don't kill. I can do that. I feel pretty confident I cannot kill somebody. feel good about that. Indifference? Superiority? Ooh. It's getting hard here. It's, 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 getting, it's getting difficult. He, he said, don't just pay back someone who's persecuted you, but actually have a heart full of love that is praying for them. I mean, you can read this and, and you can see why these, this freshman class is going, this sounds impossible. This sounds impossible. You see, if you read the Bible, hear this. If you read the Bible as just a bunch of true things, right? True proverbs, true statements, true stories. And, and if you read these things and you have a desire to be treated the way that the Bible instructs us to treat one another, right? So you see the value of the ethics of the way of Jesus, you're like, I get it, I see it. I want to be treated that way and I want to treat other people that way. I wanna love neighbor and enemy. I wanna practice radical generosity. I wanna pursue justice. I wanna value self-denial. I wanna forgive those who wrong me. I wanna do this, Jesus, I want to do this. Here's what you'll find if you just view it as a good set of teachings and you don't see Jesus as the fulfillment of all that the Bible instructs. Do you, do you know what you'll find? You'll find that the moral standards of the Bible will crush you. You cannot carry that yoke. It'll crush you. If you take Matthew 5 through 7 and you list out everything on that list and you say, by my power and will, I'm going to accomplish these things. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm not just going to, I'm not just going to not engage in sexual relationships out of marriage. I'm going to not even lustfully look at another person. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to grit it. I'm not going to kill somebody, but I'm not going to have indifference or, or think superiority. Do you know what you'll find? That you, you won't be able to do it. That you'll fail. You'll fail. It's impossible. But you know what happens when you see Jesus as a, a fulfillment of, of all of the scriptures? I mean, this is, this is the gospel, right? This is the gospel. This is what Jesus says. He, he says, listen, I... 
I did it. I, I taught it and I perfectly kept it. I, I, I did these things. I, I fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. I fulfilled the system of priest, prophet, and, and king, right? This system that, that for thousands of years has been in place by hundreds of different people, uh, I, I've, I've did these things. I'm living in relationship with God. And the gospel is what? He says, because of my death and resurrection, I now give you access to God the Father through my fulfillment of living the scriptures perfectly. And he says, my righteousness, my perfect living is now available to you as a people. And, and now you can look at what I, the, the Bible, the scriptures that we have, and, and you can look at them as not something that will crush you as a weight that is too strong, but you can look at them as a way to live empowered by the spirit that lives inside of you because of my death and resurrection, that you're now in right standing before God the Father. This is the gospel. This is why we have to see Jesus as a fulfillment of all these things. He rose into what? Secured your place in relationship with God the Father. This is what happened on the cross and in the resurrection. This is why, this is why it's great news that he's a perfect priest, prophet, and king. Look at how he ends this interaction with his disciples in verse 47 here, and then I'll be done. We'll pray together. Verse 47, it says, And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, there it is, this global thought, to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So how do you receive the benefits of Jesus that he fulfilled? How do, how do you receive these things? Through what? Through repentance? This is what Jesus said, that through repentance, through, through looking at um, the impossibility of living up to the moral standards of the Bible, of, of, of refusing to continue to do things your own way. I mean, don't, we, don't you just grow weary of trying to do things your own way, of, of trying to make your own life kind of valuable? Doesn't that, doesn't that just hit dead ends where it's like, oh man, the, the job's gone, the relationship ended, the, 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 the major's not fulfilling, the, I, I thought all these things were gonna bring me a type of, of worth and satisfaction, and they just won't. And so Jesus says, through repentance, you get access to the benefits of my fulfillment of all the scriptures.